Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Burge. Uh, Happy New Year. Today, David Morrison and I sit down and discuss uh, Beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience uh, touring around the United States that him and I went to about a week and a half ago. Um, But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. Uh, He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob Netty at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com is a place to go. Also, drcrpod.com is a place to go to get other episodes of uh, Desert Rain Community Radio or whatever podcatcher you found this one on. Um, And lastly, dreamwalkerway.com to pick up David's book, Desolate Beauty, a book of light and shadow. It's uh, haiku poetry. So, um, yes, keep supporting us with that. And please tell a friend if you like what you um, hear. Word of mouth and social media really helps us out. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. Here David Morrison. Hello, sir. <laughs> Dispatches from the Verge. We're dispatching the Verge. From the edge. Happy uh, Happy New Year. Yeah. This is our first time recording in like six weeks. Got that holiday hangover. <laughs> <laughs> What's your... Uh, your New Year's resolutions. I know you're big on New Year, New Me. Oh, yeah. No, it's all right. <laughs> um, thank you all for tuning in. This is our, we're going into our third year nice. of recording and publishing, I guess. Casting pods. Dispatching. Um, and so... Today, uh, David Morrison and I, about a week ago, week and a half ago, went to, what was it called? Van Gogh Immersive Experience or something like that. I'm messing that up. Yeah, there's two that are, two tours that are running, I guess, competing tours. Uh-huh. I think this one was Beyond Van Gogh. Yeah, that's right. And there's one Immersive Van Gogh, maybe. Okay, so it's two different things. I think our friend Danny West went to... The immersive one in New York City. Oh, nice. So, yeah. yeah so this one's called uh, Beyond Van Gogh. And basically you get um, the first little bit of it is a the Wikipedia yeah. version of Van Gogh and some of the letters he had with his brother. And then you walk into this. I don't even know. How, how big do you think that room was? I don't know. It was Maybe the, the size of a basketball court? Yeah, probably. It was kind of a side room of the El Paso Coliseum, wasn't it? Well, it's it wasn't the built. main arena, though. See, I don't. I've never been to the Coliseum. Well, I have been, but it's when I was a little kid, so I, I don't even know. I Think we were under the seats, you know, where the seats are. For oh, the where Coliseum. they would expand yeah. out to. I see, but I could be wrong. On so, that. anyways, but yeah, um, it was a large room. Yeah, for anyone that has that has not seen it, uh, basically, it's uh, it's about the size of a basketball court more or less, and they have um, walls that are probably 20 feet high, and there's two pillars, and there's projections of Van Gogh's art 
Um, but it's not just projections. They're, they're, um, moving and changing and fading. It, it's yeah. hard to explain me. Animated. <laughs> Animated for sure. And, uh, music accompanied, accompanied with it. Yeah. And who, I mean, it seems as though there was probably 30 projectors, um, because yeah, every, every inch from the top of the walls and the floors, every inch is covered in projection. Yeah. There's no, there's no blank spots within the projection. Anyways, um, may, maybe that's the place to start. You and I were both moved by it. Yeah. It was and maybe, powerful. maybe that's the place we could start is, is you could sort of, sort of your reaction or your emotions that it, it stirred up and, and I can share mine after that and we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, we, you know, I'm not an art guy in, in, right. in an academic sense. Uh, but I, I know what moves me. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we talk a lot about contemplative writers. And we, we focus on their writing, mm-hmm. sometimes their lives, uh, but mostly the writings of... Mm-hmm. But to me, these, you know, art is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very powerful, transcendent experience. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and for me, uh, yeah, there's... I don't think there is another artist that's moved me, actually brought healing to my soul at times, mm-hmm. emotional healing, uh, like uh, Vincent Van Gogh's art. Um, and so, yeah, so this was, you know, and, and this has been 20 years, 25 years that I've been, right. that I regularly view Van Gogh and uh, th- that kind of artwork, use it for our meditations and that kind of thing. I th- I think they're just as good as icons. Well, it's funny too because uh, I was looking. Sacred, you know. One of the things we try to do with our weekly podcast yeah. is put a piece of art that corresponds with with the episode. Yeah. So instead of lectio divina, which is divine reading, we'll do visio uh, divina, mm-hmm. which is uh, divine viewing, where you where you look at something so that your soul will open up. Mm-hmm. And, and your soul might speak to you or the art might speak to you mm-hmm. or to use Pentecostal language, the spirit might speak through you. Some, some eternal truths impart that to you as you, as you engage this piece of art. So, yeah. And Van Gogh's has done that for me, particularly the three red sunflowers. Mm. That one's always been a, a very important piece to me. So, One, well, and we've used some of Van Gogh's paintings on our, for our podcast art. Yeah, in the yeah. past, so that that in it's fact, free. <laughs> well, and, and it depicts some of the you know I, we talked about what was it? It might have been the episode where we it was called reconnaissance of death, where we went through mm-hmm. some of the stuff you had gone through with your your two um, experiences, and I think that one we had, and I might might be mixing this up, but. Um, the gentleman sitting is just a room with a gentleman in, in, uh, in a chair with his hand, his, oh, his yeah, face yeah. and his, his hands and, yeah. um, obviously in, in despair and, and, um, because yeah, I, I this, so it was very interesting cause I, I didn't really what, <laughs> so I, I, when I showed up to the thing, I was, I was very rushed cause I had just got pulled over by oh, the El Paso right, yeah. PD but I only got a warning. So thank you, officer. Um, 
so I was kind of I was kind of all over the place. And actually, for me, the the like Wikipedia stuff going in was very nice because it it kind of allowed me to calm myself and oh, yeah, get a, yeah. get a little bit more perspective. Because I knew it's funny because just well, two months ago, a month ago, I was in Philadelphia and had gone to the art museum there and taken a tour. And, and one of the things they talked about was his um, attempting to be an art dealer. Yeah, and yeah. and failed at that, and it it touches on that in there. And I didn't realize his brother was an art dealer, like they kind of tried to do that together. Yeah, that's right. His brother was the one that was pushing. Yeah, worked very hard, and and yeah, and it didn't work. Um, and then walking into the actual experience, the actual room, um, it it because when we walked in, there was like a bunch of white petals flower petals yeah which was the beginning i i mean it was just yeah i don't know if there was actually a beginning it was just like a loop i was under the impression that it started in spring uh, and daylight and ended with winter at winter at night uh, with portraits in between but yeah, yeah, that yeah. was kind of my anyways and just walking into that cuz it was it's very overwhelming because I didn't really yeah. know what to expect. I'd, I'm not sure if you, if you had looked into it at all. Like if you, I'd seen videos. We had waited eight months to see this thing. Yeah, we saved our nickels and our dimes. <laughs> <laughs> Spent our it. our cuss jar, our swearing jar yeah. money. <laughs> and so just walking into that was it, because I didn't really know what to expect. And then just the word overwhelmed is not the right word but just moved yeah, in such a way yeah. that it, it and just um, kind of like what you're talking about is this, this for me, it was a very uh, meditative, I don't know where they're like an hour, hour and a half or something like that. And it was just a very meditative for me time. And I, you know, yeah. I very much made it a walking meditation. I was just blown away by the whole, cause someone had to imagine this. Right. And then someone someone else had to like put together the execution of the animation yeah. and the music and the technology then, of it. Yeah, and, and and it was not and and then it's a it's a traveling thing, right? Like it's not just in El Paso, like it's traveling yeah, from yeah. city to city. It's a tour. And to think, you know, the the numerous amounts of people that would have to set it up and make sure it's working correctly yeah. and, and all that. And then sort of a secondary meditation I had while I was there. And I know I mentioned it to you, but um, imagining Van Gogh, if there was somehow to pluck him in the present day yeah. and put him in the middle of the El Paso Coliseum and just have him like stand there and see, what his artwork, I mean, it is his artwork, but it's also inspiration of his artwork, right? Because yeah. it's not just, I mean, it's one thing to like show his artwork, right? But it's another thing to make it into an immersive experience. Um, and the thought of that for me was very, very profound because we don't know, because like on the micro level, anything I do today, I don't know how that's going to affect the world and 200 years from, and I, I'm, you know, obviously not comparing myself to Van Gogh, but he had to have a similar thought process as he was making that art and still, you know, making the art for the, for the sake of, 
if he loved painting. Yeah. You know, um, it was very interesting. And maybe we could talk about this a little bit, kind of stumbling into your, uh, what you do, but it's very interesting that he tried to be, what was it? An art dealer. And then he went to, he was a preacher first. Was it the preacher first? Yeah, so he yeah. tried to be a so preacher a first. organization. He yeah. Joined and he was giving his shoes away. He was, you know, he's, he was a struggle with mental illness, obviously. And right. Went to extremes of things. So maybe what we would call bipolar today. Uh, so they, yeah, so they disinvited him. <laughs> they right. fired him from the organization. So take, he'd give his shoes away. Take a hike. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that kind of, he was, you know, very, almost Francis of Assisi mm-hmm. kind of, you know, uh, you know, approach to things. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, I'm still addled by the holidays, doing nothing for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> watching, watching football. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then doing, you know, going to the art dealer thing and not, and obviously failing at that. Yeah. And then decided he wanted to be a painter. His brother, Theo, took it up for, you know, with him to try to sell them and never did. And then both ended up uh, committing suicide. Oh, I didn't realize his brother did. Yeah. I believe so. Interesting. Yeah. You could fact check me on Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure that's. Yeah. Anyways, that it was it was very um I could relate to it in the sense of like professionally I've done everything, right? Like and failed at it all. <laughs> been yeah. been been mediocre at best at pretty much every profession I've done, you know, and and um so just being able to see that in other, you know, um and someone like that, right? And and seeing uh, everyone has a different time frame, I guess would be because yeah. I see other people, like I see other people that I know, and they, you know, they find their uh, vocation or profession or whatever at an early. I, I mean, I guess you know, you were preaching at an early age, you know what I mean, and and how you've kind of stuck with that on different iterations, right? Like it's it's yeah. evolved over over the years, but that was something that was extremely striking to me about um, that trial and error that, that he, he walked through and before yeah. he, he was able to, cause it, it seemed like he had always been at least on the periphery art was part of his life, but it was one of those things that yeah, for he, sure. he, he couldn't convince himself to commit to, I guess would be. I mean, the, the Dutch have it. a very strong tradition of amazing art. That's you true. Know, and, so he comes in out of that tradition. His father was a a minister as well. So, mm. so that's yeah. So that's what he was. And yeah, and that's what I have in common with him is also being a failed preacher as well. So, uh, <laughs> but with no talent <laughs> so for any well, kind of. Art. And you and you fired yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like I'm not doing this. Yeah, I was the desert. so much a failure that there was no one there to to fire me. So for the sake like, of the I, world, I, I had to fire myself. <laughs> so. Oh, shoot. Um, and so I, 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 too, found ministry to be very cruel. And I, and I think most pastors and ministers who've chosen that as a working vocation uh, will tell you that it's detrimental to their family life mm. and their mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cruel 
kind of world profession. Mm. So anyway. Um, so I, I guess one of the things I'm interested in um, is now that we're a couple weeks removed, I, I don't even know, man. Time's such a weird. <laughs> Was it been a week and a half? Well, did we, we went on a Saturday, didn't we? No, that's not right. We went in the middle of the week. Yeah. yeah. It was a Wednesday. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, now that we have a few days removed from it, what what are some of the things that uh, have stuck with you or that you've been meditating on or that has sort of bubbled to the surface from that that experience? Well, yeah, definitely the reminder that one can take the, the pain and the anguish of your life mm. and sit with it and wait with it instead of numbing it, instead of trying to eradicate it and see the process of it being converted into something beautiful. Mm. Uh, and, and then to bring that beauty into the world in some way, uh, no matter how small. Uh, and so, you know, he, he, the guy wasn't setting out, I want to be one of the greatest artists of all time. Mm-hmm. He wasn't competing in the academic world. He was, you know, best. He was a nobody from nowhere uh, who was seen as kind of a wild man. Right. Strange little wild man roaming the countryside. Uh, so he wasn't like trying to set out to, you know, he, he was just working through his own pain and anguish. And did it through that medium. So. Well, and and um, I can't remember. It was within the exhibit or whatever, but um, or no, maybe it was. You sent me a clip, a Doctor Who clip. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, maybe it was in yeah. that. So to we'll link that clip to this episode. So if you want to watch yeah, this clip, yeah, even though we'll we'll put it. It's it's a, it's an amazing companion to this but one of the things the guy says in that clip when he's talking about van gogh is that even though he had all this pain and anguish he used it for beauty to make beautiful things instead of where you would that's that's not an obvious way to use pain and anguish i guess is is sort of the point he was making right um that he chose to make beautiful things instead of yeah um and it's like Richard Rohr often says, you know, the pain in your life. What are you doing with the pain in your life? Mm. That's always, a, that's probably one of the top spiritual questions you can ask yourself. What are you doing with the pain in your life? What is the pain in your life doing with you? Um, and then, you know, and the other thing he says is it will either be transmitted, that your woundedness will either be transmitted or it'll be transformed. Mm. And it's usually both. Uh, there's usually two streams. Right. You need, you you kind of need both of, both of those to. Yeah. So until you, yeah. So it's all a process of, of learning and growth and hardship. Um, and yeah, just to alert everyone to, uh, I mean, it's hypocritical of me in that sense of, I've never watched an entire Doctor Who episode, even though that series is something like, I think it started before I was even born. Really? Yeah, it's, it's that a old? very old really? series. I had no idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, think, I know it's extremely... I, I too I have not watched it. I think it's from the it. early 60s, yeah. Interesting. But I've watched this specific clip for years. Uh, you know, it was, it was wandering around the internet probably 10 years ago. And 
you know, moved me. And then I actually did try to watch Doctor Who because of that clip, and it just wasn't my cup of tea. So, yeah. <laughs> Do they use a time machine? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's so basically Who, it's or, basically Bill and Ted. <laughs> it is the Bill and Ted phone booth. It looks like they call. I think they call it a TARDIS. Is that the same thing as a? I don't know. I, or that I've might be the sci-fi. Yeah, people are just laughing at us, <laughs> screaming at their devices. You morons. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a Bill and Ted. Now that's time travel I can get behind. <laughs> that's more to my academic level, you know. And uh, yeah, so so yeah, so he's a master. He's a time master of time and space, I guess. And uh, I'm not sure what the premise is beyond that. But so they do. Yeah, the, the little clip they take, they pick up Vincent Van Gogh. Maybe they're trying to keep him from committing suicide. Or cutting or off something. his ear, because I think he still had his ear in the... <laughs> I think Anyways. so, yeah. Uh, and they take him to, yeah, the modern modern day period and take him to an art museum, and then the curator uh, tells him what the world thinks of, of mm. him. And, and then I think the point of the clip is that he goes back and it doesn't change the outcome at all. Interesting. And, so, and I like that. That's kind of... Yeah. That's very perceptive. And, well, and to, I think... I think too because ah, I'm not going to go down. That's yeah, that's okay. <laughs> not, um, but it's a very moving clip. You know what I mean? Especially if you kind of yeah. what we're, we're we're talking about with this being able to take all that pain and anguish and create something with it. Yeah. Um, one of the quotes that and this shift gears a little bit, but one of the quotes that stuck out to me. That came from his letters um, to his brother. Um, one must work and dare if one really wants to live. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because for me, um, I do not want to work. <laughs> I, I am. And it was just, it. I, I guess kind of going back to this profession kind of thing, the last few, few weeks um, that has been on my mind quite a bit of like what, you know, I've done a certain amount of stuff for the first 40 years of my life. And it's like, okay, what, what are the second 40 years of my life going to yeah. look like professionally specifically? Right. Um, and reading that quote, it's like, Oh, like to embrace this idea of work. And I guess more so in this idea of like mastery, yeah. Um, cause that's one thing I'm very good at getting excited about something and doing it like for a month, if that, and then just be kind of getting bored with it. Like, okay, this is, but you can't, so you can't master anything with that amount of engagement, right? Like, yeah, it's a very surface level type of engagement. Um, and so I've kind of been meditating on that over the last 10 days or two weeks, however long it's been, is this idea of like, okay, what what does mastery mean? What are the things in my life, the skills I have in, in a sense of like engaging in this idea of mastery? Um, because I, I think that's part of the daring part too of it is to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to do this. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. easy to like be all over the place and be like be non-committal. Like that's it's very very easy to do that. Um, but I think it's at least for me, 
maybe other people are like, no, it's it's easy to just pick one thing and master it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no. um, like I think about like the, uh, so people that are like start off young at stuff. So whether they're like child actors or like athletes or, you know, like Tiger Woods is a good example. Yeah. His dad had him swinging a club when he was two years old or something, yeah. you know, something ridiculous. And um, now those are obviously are extreme forms of mastery, but Van Gogh is an extreme form of mastery, right? Like he mastered something in the sense that, like you said, at the time he didn't know it was going to be one of the most. Yeah. He didn't set out for that. Yeah. And it wasn't recognized as. During his life. Yeah. The right? attitude yeah. of. And it's not because the establishment is stupid and, you know, that that's usually the trope that, you know, right. movies play. Uh, the establishment, the science establishment is so stupid, but this this uh, moron hick from nowhere, you know, he's got, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. The reality doesn't work that way. It's a great story. But yeah, he was seen more as meh. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, it was just... But he definitely had a mastery of colors for mm -hmm. sure, you know, and, um, well, and it's also one of those things too, that, and it kind of goes back to this idea of an art dealer and, and you and I have talked about this, but this idea of, uh, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, probably not, but, um, a lot of times things that are popular when, when, uh, what's it called when the artist is alive is because either they're a great marketer or someone close to them is yeah. a great marketer. It's all right? about marketing. And so like, how do you gain attention for something, excuse me, while you're alive? You know what yeah. I mean? And, and then um, there's something weird about death where something great can be discovered when someone passes, you know, kind of a, from my realm, you know what I mean? Like, he was popular when he was alive, but like, if you think about the rappers, Tupac and Biggie, yeah, they were popular when they were alive, but yeah. after they passed away, their popularity skyrocketed. Yeah, for sure. They're far more known. To, it, because they were so talented, it makes me wonder, like, if they stayed alive, what would their career look like? Because yeah. I don't know if they would have gotten to the same popularity as they would have in death, which is like kind of a sad thing to reflect on, right? But, but there's some truth in it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just going back to this idea of, of mastery for the sake of mastery and not for the sake of um, popularity or fame or uh, you know, oh, I'm gonna do this so I get get noticed. Yeah, it's and which is very funny too, because we live in such a different time where like, it's actually, well, not easy, but there are a lot of vehicles out there, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or like the social, like the internet has kind of leveled the playing field if you really want to try to get noticed, right? Like yeah. there's not as much gatekeeping, um, you know, as there was even 40 years ago, right? Right. Um, but because of that, there's a whole bunch of noise that you also have to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find music now. Yeah, that's because there's so much. Well, that's funny. I mean, who was I just? It might have been Josh. Him and I were just talking about how people kind of fall in their niche of the music they like and just kind of stick yeah. to that. Whereas, you know, granted, because I mean, when, yeah, when there was only radio stations, 
I was going to say you could only listen to that, but at least there was a different genre. You know what I mean? You go to right, the blues right. channel, you go to the country, you go to the pop, you know, yeah. oldies, so on and so forth. Um, but before we, yeah, one of the, we're kind of all over the place, kind of <laughs> spread out. But I'm interested in, in, um, cause you're, I see you as someone's very, with this idea of mastery, I see you as someone that's very, um, intellectually you you have have you're constantly studying you're always studying listening to audiobooks or reading reading stuff you know what i mean usually about spirituality and and the bible and this and that and so um i'm interested in your take on this idea of mastery and sort of what it what it means to you or what you've observed in other people over the years and and just kind of what what that um yeah, I'm just interested in your perspective. Yeah, I, I would think the artists, you know, the artists that I know, like my brother, uh, uh, even even the the West Boys and Evan in their music, uh, I guess even Josh and and uh, Abe Abraham in his music, mm-hmm. they're not when they're at least when they're creating it, when they're in the process of it. They're not thinking about it, mm-hmm. so they're just doing it. They're just occupying that space, and they're and they're taking you know, which is a contemplative practice. That's exactly what a contemplative practice is: It's to get you out of your calculating mind, mm-hmm. get you out of your scheming mind, get you out of your ego mind, uh, and and to just simply be, to be present. And so, so so then you're not thinking about what will people perceive of this, what will they think. Uh, you're, and then you're truly living. Um, you know, most of us, 99.9% of us in the human race, after you die, uh, the people that love you will move on within two weeks. They'll f- think of you less and less. Uh, and then there'll become a day where your last, someone will speak your name for the last time and your name mm-hmm. will never be spoken of. Again, that's most of our experience. Right. And so, but so, so contrast that with how much time we spend worried about what people think of us. Right. (laughs) They're not thinking of you at all. Yeah. That's, that's Uh, the number one point. (laughs) And so once you realize that, and it's hard to realize that that's a, that's a, that's a very difficult process. It goes beyond just thinking through it. Right. And rationalizing it. Uh, Again, I think it takes a contemplative, creative process to get beyond that kind of self-awareness uh, and, uh, and then begin to really live and occupy a creative space uh, with your life. And it has nothing to do with the medium of it, whether it's right. cooking, uh, you, know, uh, you know, whatever it is. Anything. Yeah, so I'm not even Painting, talking about Painting, writing, just, cooking. Right. Even, even athletes, right? That's a form exactly. of Exactly, yeah, yeah, that's poetry. Yeah, yeah. Football is an amazing... Uh, thing when they you know there's people trying to kill them on the field yeah. and they catch most, this ball. most literally that's an amazing thing to watch it's a beautiful thing uh it's uh, to me that's the beautiful game uh, mm-hmm. but anyway that's just my bias <laughs> mainly because i don't understand soccer well and so and i actually saw it, it's interesting that you you frame that about you know witnessing other people as they create art, because I saw you. So last year when you were, um, I guess the first half of the year, we kind of focused on you writing poems. Um, 
and you got into this flow where you were just it was like poem after poem after yeah. poem they were just coming flowing 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 um and then i saw you hit this uh wall when it when it was time to shift to that calculating yeah. like how how am i going to edit these narrow them down uh, yeah. classify you know all the things that go through anyone that's never edited a book um maybe it would be kind of difficult to understand. So maybe you could talk about that process for yourself of shifting from being in the flow of creating yeah. the art to that calculating mind and what that sort of what the struggle was for you personally. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a shift, a shift of gears. So I spent what, six months in that zone. Yeah. So to speak. I pretty much. Months go on a walk outside and I would harvest out of the air three to five little poems, write them down when I got home, F would forget some of them. Yeah, of course. Uh, some I wrote on the phone when I was out there and, uh, and that was, yeah. And then I'll just write them down and forget about them. It was like a river. Yeah, it really it was. Just, there was it a was real flow flowing. going. I would say like the first month, maybe not, but, Something yeah. clicked in that second month. Yeah, so I like got into that rhythm. A damn waterfall. It was really exactly. beautiful to to uh, to witness. And so yeah, so six hundred or so poems later. Is that how uh, much you got up to? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, I forgot about. That. So then having to revisit them, that was painful. That was the painful process of it. I didn't want to revisit yeah. them. I didn't want to read them. And th and that's an under. Uh, he's understating it. He there was an yeah. absolute block there. Yeah, I just didn't want to do it. It's yeah. like, what's a good example? Probably the end of your college career where you're just like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. At least that was my experience. Uh, no, I definitely was ready to peace out. Yeah, just, you know. I mean, there are a couple of interesting classes, but there were some. Uh, there was an evening class I had to go to that had nothing to do with my career. <laughs> and so it was just so painful just to even get in the car to drive right. to go to that class. <laughs> And so it was that kind of a feeling. So yes. how did you climb that wall? Or, I mean, obviously hindsight, it's easy to make up a thing now, but can you yeah. recall what helped you sort of start scaling that? Yeah, breaking it into smaller vision. Mm. Uh, so so I, once I decided on a framework for the mm. book itself. Okay. So what was it, five, five sections? Yeah, you used the, uh, was it the four light sections from uh bill helms yeah dissertation. the numinous space project yeah. which we did a podcast with him on and that's and then i added a fifth part. yeah so i added a fifth stage uh to it so then i was able to just kind of scan through the poems and just choose the ones that that fit okay. and then and then scale those down okay. to uh you know so so i ended up with five sections and probably uh, maybe about 40 to 50 poems in each section. So then scaled those down. Right. To, uh, do we end up with 25? I think it was, yeah, it was a hundred. Well, no, that would be 125 because there was five. Sections. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, it might've 20. been 20. Yeah, yeah. 20. So yeah. So then scaling that back to 20. Oh. And then once that was done, it was, it was a fairly, you know, an easier, yeah, easier route. But yeah, but those, that, what was it a month or two months? I'm just anguish. I think probably two. I mean, there was definitely a month where you were just like avoidant to it. Yeah, on just a avoiding level. it. Um, yeah, most of the anguish was in my I, head. It wasn't like I was actually doing some sort of work. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was all exactly, just in my yeah. head. 
and I guess I forgot about the, um, because once you decided on a framework, I think you had like narrowed it down to two different frameworks you were thinking about yeah. and it, it just seemed your poetry seemed to fit in the other one, the one we use, the numinous space. And for anyone that's yeah. curious, that's episode 52 and 53. It's a two part, uh, conversation with Bill Helm. It's a two for um, two for you can go back and listen to those. And it, it gives that episode gives a lot of, uh, insight onto this idea of the, of the different, um, uh, times of day that that and the light um how it interacts here in the desert this part of the desert specifically but it kind of it it translates to other parts of the world as well just the different parts of day so um yeah that's very interesting because there is to put something into the universe, into the world for others to, uh, whether it's interact with or view or read or, um, it's really odd how there, it does take both of those things. You need the contemplative creating just for the sake of creating. Um, and then I don't know. Yeah. I guess you'd call it the calculating mind. Yeah, because okay. it's one of the encouraging things for me was that there's some really bad stuff out there that's popular, yeah. but it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, um, the Fifty Shades of Grey books are horribly written. They're terrible. The message is awful, but they're successful. Yeah. So uh, that encourages me. It's like I, I can't write any worse than that stuff, <laughs> even if I tried. Right. And so it has nothing to do with the success or failure, in other words. And then you look at T.S. Eliot, uh, one of the greatest British-American, uh, I think he was American first, so American-British poets, uh, and his his masterpiece, The Wasteland, sold 30-something copies mm-hmm. is the first year. And so... Uh, so it doesn't. So it has nothing to do with the quality of whatever you're putting out. There it has nothing to do with failure or success of it. Marketing is a completely different animal, and uh, and so that that's very freeing to me. So it's, so just go ahead and put something out there. In other words, uh, you know the Dan Brown novels are awful. They're horribly written. And get an albino monk who's a, an assassin. Give me a break. It's just so that's Wait, Monty one? Python level shit there. Which Except one is they're Dan? intentionally funny. Which one is Dan Brown? Uh, the, the the Da Vinci Code stuff oh, and all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I spit Wait, out my drink when I was really, watching the movie. Is there really an albino? Yes, there's an albino monk. And and the movies are just as bad, you know, Tom Hanks. So it's probably his worst movie. And that's compared to Joe versus the Volcano and Forrest Gump. And anyway, uh, but there's a scene where he's already, this is an academic guy. He's lived a very stable life his whole life. He's in Europe. He's in Italy uh, studying museums. And then he witnesses something like three brutal murders in one day. And when he sees the fourth murder, his response is, we got to get to the library. In his in his woody voice, <laughs> that's almost like. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm like, so I spit my drink out when he said that. <laughs> we got to get to the library, Buzz. And so you know, and yet those books are very successful. They have a movie franchise, so it has nothing to do with whether it's it's the quality of it. So yeah, that's very encouraging to me. Well, it's also funny that you. Um, <coughs> I, I remember um, 
I thought I knew the guy's name, but I don't. But there's a. Oh yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, so the guy who wrote uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad," Robert Kawasaki. K i y o s a k i. Anyways, there's a portion in this book where, because it it's a best selling book, and it might not be this book. It might be another one he had written mm-hmm. after this, but some woman had approached him and said like, like wanted to pick his brain about writing a best-selling book. And he basically just broke down what you said. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's good or not. Uh, it's got to be popular. And like the woman was very offended in this story. It's true. But it's like, you know, cause she wanted some, you know, to write a literary, you know, the American, and I don't remember her ethnicity or anything like that, but, you know, people are always talking about the next great American novelist and yeah, stuff like this. Yeah. And so, you know, it's some like, they want some kind of like insight. I mean, I just think also about, um, oh, what was the pastor? Live your best life. Oh, yeah. Warren? Yeah. yeah, in Houston. Uh... No, it's, oh, maybe it was in Houston. Warren something? Uh, I think you're thinking of two different... You're thinking of Joel Osteen? No, 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 no. Okay, he wrote Your Best Life is... Okay. Uh, you're thinking The Purpose Driven Life. Yes, 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 uh, yes. Warren. Warren is his... Yeah, yeah. so uh, where that guy, he was so big, like all of his like satellite churches just bought a bunch of copies and it became a yeah, they best-selling gained, book. Yeah, that story is pretty crazy. <laughs> so he writes... So he spins... <laughs> Uh, so, so Warren uh, is it Rick Warren? Is that his name? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so he had a mega church or has one. I think he might have retired recently uh, in San Diego. Nice. <laughs> and I think it was called Saddleback, That's, if I remember right. That, yeah. And, and so he spent years doing church growth conferences. So thousands of of pastors and people that wanted to be successful in ministry yeah. are attending. So he's collecting all their data, their emails, yeah. and then. So he sends that out to, to them first, that this book is coming up, the Purpose Driven Life book. And then, yeah, all the satellite churches and the church itself bought uh, 250,000 copies of it. Oh, is that the number it needed to and which, which bumped it to the New York Times yeah, 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 automatically. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to change the rules at yeah. the New York Times because he gamed the system. And uh, anyways, it's just, if yeah, it's hilarious. And it's, I had to teach that book in a prison and I hated it. It was like throwing up in my mouth. If anyone wants, um, <laughs> wants to help us get on the New York Times bestseller. Yeah, help dream, us out. Dreamwalkerway.com. <laughs> <laughs> Wish Check I had a out. mega church to buy up to. I think, I think everyone that listens to this podcast has already bought a copy of our book. So send it to your, send the email to your friends. Yeah, yeah. Spread the word. <laughs> Oh shoot. Um So I guess I just I guess just to backtrack back to the, <laughs> the our original conversation about this Van Gogh experience. Um Is there anything anything else that uh that sort of captured your mind or your imagination uh now that, you know, we've been removed from it for a few days? And just anything that has seemed striking to you? No, just, you know, just the, to, to be on the lookout for beauty. I think I've told mm. the story before. Because uh, I noticed when we, when we got out of the, uh, got out of the exhibit, uh, everything around me looked 
more colorful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, very yeah. strange. That's funny. So, so the mountain range that I've looked at yep. my entire life, <laughs> I had the same. Uh, experience. Was more beautiful than I had ever seen it. The mountain range I see when I literally open my front door, I mean my bedroom door when I go outside in the morning, uh, the San Augustine Mountains, uh-huh. uh, yeah, were mm-hmm. popping with color, you know, and uh, and the faces of people. You know, there was even a guy walking around there that looked like Van That's Gogh. true. That yeah, was the yeah. weirdest thing. <laughs> Maybe he was time traveling. <laughs> I, I think I told you after you guys left, he, the portrait ones came up and he was standing by the wall. And it almost looked like he was posing to take a picture with one of the por- portraits of Van Gogh. But there was no one, like no one had their wow. camera out taking a picture. So maybe it was just Van Gogh being like, yeah, buddy. Anyways. And that's what also impressed me is the people that were there. It was a, you know, it was a crowded event. So I was a little, I had, a, I had to wear a mask and all that. But uh, uh, it was people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. You know, there was elderly there. There were kids diversified. there. Uh, and most people, probably 90% were, were just overwhelmed by it and were just mm-hmm. looking at it in awe. And then there was like a smaller percent of just people taking selfies. Yeah, you got to do I it. Went you got to put it on the Instagram for yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, but the majority were just yeah from all walks of life. It wasn't just uh, the art crowd, mm-hmm. so to speak, and uh, so that that really impressed me as well. So yeah, just to to open your receptors to beauty again, you have to get out of the calculating mind. Mm-hmm. If you're driving to work, instead of being so preoccupied with what you have to do that day and the jackasses you have to put up with, uh, or if you were me when I was driving, uh, talking myself into not being a jackass, <laughs> not don't be the jackass at work today. Let someone else be the jackass. Yeah, you pass the torch uh, for one day. And yeah. And, and notice, notice things, the small things, you know? And, uh, so you, you really do have to be intentional about having uh, a receptivity to beauty around you and color uh, or else it'll just be that same background. Uh, we used to have, uh, it was kind of right before the video game revolution. Uh, we would have these electronic toys in the seventies of, uh, like a race car driving on a, on a scrolling mm, right, background. Right, right. It yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah. it wasn't digital though, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was just the repeating. Well, and video games did the same thing. Right. Early video game, the same repeat. Uh, there was one called pitfall. Uh, that we played on the Atari, yeah, and uh, and it was exactly the same, and it made you think you were getting somewhere, and you re- until we realized later this is the same, <laughs> the same, same pattern forever. Th- that game never had an end. Yeah, uh, there was never a time where you said I won this game, <laughs> and so we, but we kept thinking something different might happen, and so you don't want to live your life like that, uh-huh. you know, and, and you want to be able to see new new things in the old, yeah. and so that's kind of what it, I took away from it. No, and I, 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 I too had that experience of, of everything was, was, was brighter. There was like a sense of creativity in the air. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's actually, it's, that part has kind of stuck with me of like this open-ended, like possible, the infinite, right. You know, the infinite possibilities that, that come with life. Um, if you're willing to look for them, yeah. because you can also, like you're saying, look for the, you could just do the repeating background every day. Yeah. Um. I think that's a I think that's a place to land it. All right. So it's a little bit shorter episode this week, but um, yeah, those were uh, that was a good conversation. And uh, welcome to 2023, Mr. Mr. Morrison. Yes. 
thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you to Danny West. Uh, get well soon. He had some dental stuff this week, and so hope you're feeling better. Uh, thank you to Jacob. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, monk drums. And uh, thank you to you. Thank you, sir. And uh, like we said earlier, dreamwalkerway.com is a place to find uh, Desolate Beauty, a book of light and shadow. And we will add the Doctor Who clip in the show notes of this episode. So thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate your time and uh, talk to you next week.